worshiped with me and you worship. You know, let me just tell you something. This group knows and I preach it. We don't worship worship. We worship Jesus. And that's the difference. Amen. Worshiping him. Then he extends his glory and his presence to us. And that's the blessing. Thank you. Will you preach with me now? All right. How about you over here? Good. Pray. Will you preach with me? Will you join me? It's so much better when we do this together. <clears throat> I'm going to get a drink of this. Thank you. <clears throat> this is Veterans Weekend and Veterans Week in Branson. Of course, there's been many, many men and women here this weekend. I was talking to Barbara Fairchild and Morris and Roy this morning and they would have been here, but this is Barbara's birthday, so happy birthday, Barbara, today. And they were talking about how extensive this was, and I don't think there's a town in the United States that honors veterans any more than Branson. And isn't it great that we live in a community like that, that does? I've meant to do something many, many times, and <clears throat> constantly um, get, gets past me. But there was a, a major, there was a, an officer here this morning, you know, and the whole front lined up with veterans, and we recognized the veterans. There was one that stood out right down here, and his name was uh, Stephen Brodus. And I got to meet him after church and found out that he's a military, he's a, an Assembly of God chaplain with the United States Army, and Major Stephen Brodus served for five years along with my brother-in-law, Dr. David Howard, Colonel David Howard. Now, David Howard was a very unusual um, chaplain. He was an Assembly of God chaplain. But he was also, which you don't see often, an airborne ranger. He had 125 jumps because anybody that was a little nervous, uh, he would go jump off the plane with them and pray for them and then say, look, I'm going to go first. And he led he was one of the greatest men of God I've ever met at 48 years old. God, I mean, this guy ran miles a day and had a body of a 19-year-old, dropped uh, and went into the presence of God. This is David. Now, if you want to know, see Ruth's twin, this is Colonel David Howard, and there he is preaching. They're just a few months apart in birth, and um, if Ruth was a man, that's what she would look like right there. But even greater than that stand-up, Pastor Amber, this is her father. This is Pastor Amber's daddy. <clears throat> and my dear brother-in-law, whom I, when I saw the picture today, my, my Miss Guider, I miss him, went all the way over to the far, far end of the machine. There are very few men like this man, and I don't, we don't brag on our family nearly enough. He was the academic dean of the entire United States chaplaincy. He had two master's degree and an earned doctorate degree. And he was so humble that at his funeral, one of his dear friends, Fred Deaver, who's a world-known uh, uh, sculptor and painter in the Cowboy Hall of Fame, <clears throat> Fred would meet David on these campouts with the Royal Rangers. And he actually came to me and he said, what are all these soldiers doing here? I know he was in the military. Fred Devers was with David all the time, and Fred Devers is renowned, but he thought, he didn't even know if David graduated from anything because he was so humble. And Fred said, Sam, what are these 
there's, there's 50 airborne rangers here in dress uniform, and they're lining the path. And I said, Fred, you don't know David's background? He don't know. And I begin to tell him who this guy was right here. Now, he's preaching on this side. He's on bivouac. He's preaching. But I can tell you that there are tears running down his face. Never one time in all of our years with David did he ever, ever one time preach without crying. He was brokenhearted for the lost. <clears throat> and so, you see, when we talk about Veterans Day, a lot of us have a lot uh, of grief over some of our family that have gone on, sons, brothers, fathers. But I thank God that we have a country that was led by men like this in the military that led people to Jesus. So how about a hand for Dr. David Howard? Amen. <clears throat> now I can tell you, he could kill a deer or a bear or a great doll sheep. He was a great hunter and fisherman. In fact, we were driving down the road one day in Kansas, and I was driving along, and David said, pull over. I went, what? And I just pulled over. I thought we had a flat tire or something. I said, what is it? He said, there was a fox just got hit. And he said, man, and we skinned it right there on the highway, and he made the most beautiful pelt out of it you've ever seen in your life. There wasn't a salmon when he was stationed in Alaska that was safe. They canned them all. They had a shortage on salmon. <clears throat> pardon my voice, but I'm really proud of, of him, and I didn't take time in the past, but I wanted to tonight for you all to see our family involvement. So, like, again, if you see this guy, if that was Ruth, that's what she would look like there. That's her almost, her twin. They grew up together, and they've been very close, and we have a day coming, don't we? And we're going to all get back together again, and I'm going to hug my brother-in-law <clears throat> and he's going to hug me and I think the first thing I'll do is salute the colonel David because we were very very close and still are for that matter a child of God isn't a was there and is how many know that in the kingdom of God <clears throat> okay Kathleen that's all I can take tonight when Barbara sent me the pictures and I got them the first time I just had a little by myself place there, but um, we are patriotic. We love this flag in this church, amen, and we love this country. It doesn't, uh, it doesn't sometimes go the way we'd like for it to go, but as far as a country, I love America, and I thank God that I'm an American. How about you, amen? <clears throat> so to you, um, Chaplain Major Stephen Broaddus, we were so glad you were here today. You're probably on your way back to Texas, and we just want you to come back as often as possible. If you'll go to 1 Samuel chapter 25, <clears throat> pardon me, my voice is acting up today. You would have thought I preached this morning. <clears throat> Thank you, Amy, for laughing. I got, I'm telling you, my jokes are, I don't know if they're getting better or worse. <clears throat> 1 Samuel chapter 25, I love the true stories. I love First and Second Samuel. I love the kings. I love the chronicles. I love the history of our nation. <clears throat> I love the history of my Jewish heritage. I'm not Jewish by faith. I'm Jewish by blood. And I love the fact that our family, as it were, 
<clears throat> had these events and these great things that happened. This is a story about David. And this story about David is different. It's not the Goliath and it's not some of the Philistine battles. This is when he was running from the presence of Saul. <clears throat> I'm so sorry. I know that hurts your ears. <clears throat> but it hurts my voice, my throat worse. <laughs> he was running from the presence of Saul. That's been measured from three to seven years, depending on who you read at. <clears throat> and this particular time, he was in an area called Carmel. Not Mount Carmel. That's on the west side of the area, the country. But this was a city called Carmel, and he was going through this particular area, his men, 600 of his fighting men, their families, and escaping from another run-in with Saul, <clears throat> and on his way, it was sheep shearing time. Now, I'm just giving you some background history. Now, sheep shearing time in Israel is like the fair, the carnival. I mean, it's a time of celebration. The sheep are sheared, they sell that, the money comes. There's an enormous amount of blessing that comes during that time. And so it's very, very, very effective. Now this guy knows what he's doing and I don't. Something's broke. Oh, thank you. I've always liked you better than anybody else. <clears throat> Not only does he run the sound, he takes care of me and it hurts his ears too. <laughs> How'd you like to have headsets on and do that, huh? Thank you, Brother Ed. Mmm. Mmm, good. I don't know if I can talk with it in my mouth, but it sure tastes good. <clears throat> it's sheep shearing time. Their troops are going through this area of Moab. And so as they're going, there, there's these shepherds with large herds of sheep. And he tells his men, don't you touch one of those sheep and don't you mess with one of those shepherds. That's not ours. Just let them go. But he took 10 of his men and he said, find out who owns all of this land. And he said, there's a man by the name of Nabal. And Nabal owns the land. So go to his house. And when you get to his house, ask him. If we could have provisions, tell him we protected him and his sheep and his shepherds. Tell Nabal that not only have we protected them, but we haven't taken a thing of his. And go two ways. Number one, go as a servant, present yourself as a servant, and present me as a son. When you speak in Hebrew, there are certain phrases you can use that cause you to be the son speaking up to a father. So he sends this message to Nabal. Never met him before. He figured he was a reasonable man and would appreciate the protection of the sheep. There were no lions or tigers. I mean, there was no animals. There was no enemy, nothing. It was a wonderful time. The shepherds appreciated it. Everything was really good. So they get to the house of Nabal. And the Bible says this. <clears throat> and a certain man in Maon, who had property there at Carmel, was very wealthy. And he had 1,000 goats and 3,000 sheep, which he was shearing in Carmel. So this is a great time. This is a 
financial blessing for this man. His name was Nabal, N-A, long A, B-A, long A-L. <clears throat> and his wife's name was Abigail. And she was an intelligent and beautiful woman. Now, let me just tell you something about Ab Abigail. I like history. Is history okay with you guys until I get to the point? Na Abigail was considered one of four of the most beautiful women in all of the entire scriptures. Sarah, the wife of Abraham. Rahab, who saved those two spies. Esther and Abigail are considered the most beautiful women in all. Of, they were absolutely stoppers. I mean, just, whoa, they're beautiful, intelligent, great women of God. <clears throat> and his wife's name was Abigail. This is Nabal's wife. And she was an intelligent and beautiful woman, but her husband was a Calebite. Now, there's something there. This is the descendant of Caleb is talking about. And was surly and mean in his dealings. While David was in the desert, he heard that Nabal was shearing sheep. So he sent ten men to go to them, go up to Nabal at Carmel and greet him in my name. Say to him, long life to you, good health to you and your household, and, be, and, and good health to all that is yours. Now, I hear that it is sheep shearing time. When your shepherds were with us, we did, not, uh, we did not mistreat them. And the whole time we were at Carmel, nothing of theirs was missing. And ask your own servants, and they will tell you. Therefore, be favorable toward my young men. They're just asking for some provision, which is a very normal thing. To there weren't grocery stores. There aren't meat markets. People help people at that time. And so it was a very common thing. Even when they had harvest, they would leave a section for people to come and glean. That's how Ruth met her husband in that story of the book of Ruth. And, and so it was a very common thing to ask and nothing out of the way. <clears throat> Please give your servant, she comes as a servant, and listen to this, and your son David, whatever you can find for them. It wasn't even that demanding. He comes, here he is, destined to be the king, presents himself to the surly big thug as a son, he bows before him in kindness. His men come, not armed with swords. Ten of them come as servants. And they're wanting to ask just for what's reasonable that anyone never thought that there would be a question about it. <clears throat> Verse 9. When David's men arrived, they gave Nabal his message in David's name. Then they waited, and Nabal answered David's servants. This is part of the message tonight. Who is this David? And who is the son of Jesse? Many servants are breaking away from their masters these days. Who is this guy? Who is the one that's coming to me? He didn't even take time to want to know. You know, there's two times that someone asked, who is this son of Jesse? Nabal was one of them, and the other one was Saul when David came to fight Goliath. 
I was just looking through some of my old notes this morning. And I saw a message that I preached to you not terribly, not too many months ago, about don't let somebody else kill your giants. Do you remember that? When David went to the camp there and saw, saw him, he asked, who is this son of Jesse? Who is this David? And, and, and it was there in that message that the Lord showed me that Goliath was actually Saul's treasure. Saul could have confronted Goliath and God through the anointing that was on Saul he would have allowed him as the king of Israel to defeat that enemy but he backed off because he was a giant he backed off in his own fear he backed off in without his trust and closeness with God Jehovah and David comes in and God uses a 14 year old boy to do what a king was anointed to do and God spoke to me and he said when I put giants in your life I put them there but I've got a spot for them if you'll just walk forward don't let anybody kill your giants David lost David won the kingdom and Saul lost the kingdom over obedience this is the man he goes on to fight for, the, for Saul in Israel, and they're saying Saul has killed his thousands, but David his tens of thousands. And then Saul turns on him, and he's running now. He's running out of, not because he couldn't have killed Saul. He had three opportunities to take Saul's life, and in all three of them, when he saw he could have, he repented for even thinking about it. This man's heart was right with God. And he was doing everything he could. He has these 600 loyal men now. And they're not misfits. That's misread. When you see they came to the, king of, uh, to the cave of Adullam and met with David, it said they were disgruntled and all this. And These were the ones that stood for David in the kingdom when Saul found out about them and put a target on them and ran them off. And they left and fled for their life. Because they loved David and, and followed David, these were very incredible warriors. His mighty men came out of this group. And this group of 600 highly trained, incredible soldiers were with him. And when these men went and asked Nabal for this, and, and his response was so obnoxious back to them, the next verse says, Why should I take my bread and water? And the meat I have slaughtered for my shearers and give it to men coming from who knows where. He didn't take time to find out anything. He's obnoxious. He's surly. He's everything his name meant as Nabal. And so when David's men found out it when came back to David, they returned in verse 12. And David's men returned and went back, and when they arrived, they reported these words. David said to his men, put on your swords. When they heard the way he acted, David said, put on your sword. And if you don't think David was mad, he had 600 fighting warriors that were highly trained. He takes 400 of them to go to Nabal's house. I mean, he wasn't going to just you know, sweep the yard, he was going to burn the place and kill everybody there and destroy the name of Nabal. He was mad. You ever been mad before? Yeah. If you have, let me see your hand. If you don't raise your hand, you had shoulder surgery or you're lying. One or two, all right? We all, 
We've all been mad, haven't we? He was mad. So he gets ready. Man, they strap on their swords, and they start heading that way. And a servant comes to Abigail and says, you know what your husband's done? She's, he's insulted David, the prince of Israel, the one that God destined and called and anointed by Samuel to be the next king of Israel. He's in pursuit of his life right now from Saul. But the words out, this time, this long into the story, the words out that Saul's failing in his administration and cracks are getting in the wall and people are starting to see him for what he is just about himself. And they're realizing David was the king and is the king, he's going to be the king. And they report this back to Abigail. And when they do, Abigail does something that's incredible. Out of boldness for this, this lush drunk that she's married to, as all of this, these sheep, you heard the thousand that could have shared and could have made friends with David and had his support. This guy insults him, and he tells him to go away. You're not going to get anything, I mean, not even a loaf of bread, nothing. And when he told him that, David's anger goes nuts, and so he goes to kill him. And on the way there, Abigail gathers so much food, you have to have a tractor trailer to haul it. I mean, she has got a bunch of food, and she's bringing raisin cakes and fig cakes and cheese and bread, and she's bringing enough to satisfy, and she's slain animals, and they're going to have a feast when she gets to David. She sees him, and the men are already on the way. She, then she bows before David. She bows before him, and she absolutely began to repent for something she's never done. She starts repenting for her husband. He has no, he's back at the house. They're in the middle of a festival because it's sheep shearing, and he's drunk as he can be. And he's obnoxious, has no idea this is going on. And she's trying to save the place. She comes to David and bows before him. And when she bowed before David, she said, look, this is a reasonable thing for you to do, to take this and not destroy our, our servants and our families. But more than this, this is what she said to David. She said, if you, being called by God, allow this vengeance to be carried out, then you're going to be sinning and you're going to cause a dent, you're going to cause a flaw in your character who God has made you. And you don't have to get even with this man. Now, I don't know if you've ever really been hurt before. I think all of us probably sometime in our life have. But after you're hurt, you, my psychologist's wife tells me that you go through stages. You go through hurt and, and you go through maybe depression. I don't know them Eventually, though, you, you get to anger and resentment after you're hurt. And that's why forgiveness is so important in our life. That's why it's important for us to learn to forgive. Because if we let it go, that hurt will turn into resentment, and the resentment will turn into revenge. And then we take our God's plan for us in our own hands. I'm going to tell you something. There's some things that we're doing on Sunday night here 
and our revivists. That's building us up in the Holy Spirit. That's moving us back into a place that in these last days that God is going to do and in doing in our services some great things. But on the pro in the process of just coming to church and having a great time and worshiping God, it's more important that we get ourselves right with God than let His presence fill us. It's more important that we're on sound ground instead of just emotional frenzy. It's more important that we have a place with God that He honors us because of our love and humility to Him and righteous life that we live. And when we choose righteousness, over anything else God it triggers something with God and he says I'll bless that and that's how we're going to get the blessing in this house not because of great speakers or not because of a program but because we're going to seek the face of God and let the righteousness of the Holy Ghost that's in us bring a presence that we've never known in this house before Abigail says take this please and David is impressed. He said, I, I, I can't believe my, my anger overrode me. My anger caused me to, I mean, I, would have, I wouldn't have quit until it was too late. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, who has sent you today to meet me. You're not even guilty. You're not guilty at all. But you're standing in for someone. Maybe you, may you be blessed for your good judgment and for keeping me, listen, from bloodshed this day and from avenging myself with my own hand. Listen to me. This is important tonight for us to understand. That when we have a heart for forgiveness, God will honor and avenge us and take care of us. We don't go sick on God. We're not saying, God, get them back. I'm just saying that when we repent, God takes care of the books from that point forward. Amen? But our heart's right. And our hearts are in a place where God can really use us and individually fill us. And then when we come together in unity with God, then, and I'm not talking about standing there holding hands and, and, and being and liking each other, that kind of unity. I'm talking about unity with the Holy Spirit that does the complete package. That's unity. That's power in God. And when, you, when the Bible says we're any two or three gathered together, my name there, I am the midst. He's saying this, what about a whole church full of people that's got unity with God through the holiness of God in their life and have chosen righteousness over every other standard and isn't worried about who's getting back or who's getting even, but worshiping God through this whole thing. God needs to open our eyes and have us say, God, what did I almost do? What have I been thinking? I'm going to tell you, when God gave me this message, I immediately went to a man that has a real vengeance in his heart for another man. And I said this. I said, God, until that man repents for the way he feels toward this man, he will never have the full anointing on his life. And I didn't even get that out of my mouth. And the Holy Spirit said, what about you and that guy? Well, I forgot about those two. I, I promise you, as soon as the Holy Spirit said, what about you? 
God, I went, God, am I, is that a picture of me? Your anointing will not rest on me as long as I have that in its fullness. I'm going to live in a substandard. And I'm going to tell you something. I have, I have repented. And I've asked God to help me. In myself, I, I have emotions and feelings. And a lot of people say they're deserved. And they're okay to have. But the Holy Spirit told me they're not deserved. And they're not okay to have. Even though Nabal did what he did, he deserved to have done what he would have done by the standards of the world. But God said, David, why will you tarnish your robe? Why will you deem your anointing? Why will you have something in your life that's less than holy when you can let me handle it for you? And that goes for us today, friends, whoever it is. Whatever it is, I don't care if it's 50 years ago or five minutes ago, we have to come to a place of forgiveness in our heart that only God can give us. And it takes an Abigail spirit to wake us up and say, what in the world was I thinking? I almost shed innocent blood by my hand instead of letting God avenge me. And that's where we go to God on our face and say, Father God, this is something bigger than I am. It's something stronger than I am. It's something I don't want to really do, but I trust that I want your full anointing in my life, and I'm willing to surrender if you'll help me through this. Listen to me. The good news is he will. Every time. He'll help you. He'll help you. And, and right now while I'm speaking, there are people watching online around the country, and this community right now are thinking about somebody in their head, and you are too. What about this? What about that person? I'm justified. I'm right. I've got a good reason. They did this. And then God says, what about you? There was a prophet by the name of Nathan. He came to David one day. And he said, David, this man, you know this guy? Yeah. Yeah, big rich guy. Thousands of sheep. Across the road from him, there's a house, just a single little house there, mom and dad and two kids, yeah. They had a pet lamb. And that guy had company, and instead of taking one of his thousand sheep, he goes over to this guy in the front yard, and he kills the pet lamb. They, they carried this lamb at the table. It's a pet. And he what, it sent his service over. They, they slit its throat. They skinned it. They threw its entrails down on the ground in front of the children. And they took the thing and roasted it and, and, he, and he cooked it for his guest and mocked the people. And David went nuts. Who was this man? Who would have that kind of heartless thought? Tell me. Because you see, if you're Jewish and you steal something, you have to pay it back four times. David said, I'll tell you what we'll do. We'll kill him, then we'll pay it back four times. Who was he? In one of the most pointed statements in all of the Bible, Nathan pointed his finger at David and said, Thou art the man. You are. And David said, What are you talking about? That didn't happen to me. He said, In your script, in the last part of 2 Samuel, you'll see a list of the greatest men of David, and one of them 
those great men that came to you at Adullam, one of those great fighting men that loved you dearly was named Uriah, and he had a wife by the name of Bathsheba. And you took his only lamb, and then you had him killed. You had him destroyed and thought you covered your sin. Listen to me. There's no way out of repentance or forgiveness, I mean. There's no way out of forgiveness except through the blood of Jesus Christ and no other way. There's no program. There's no mindset. There's no healing. There's no class. There's nothing you can go to somebody's house and get prayed for or to a conference and get. There's no way out of it except through the blood of Jesus Christ. And he can heal your forgiveness as surely as he can heal your sins. I had a friend of mine that was the head of the National Safety Council many years ago. A highly professional lady, a great Christian, but she was hurt in church. And that's a horrible place to get hurt. And she didn't go back to church. And I asked her, I said, Julie, why don't you go to church? You went to uh, this great Christian college. And um, I said, why, why? And she goes, she told me this story. And it was, she was justified. I mean, she was treated terrible by the pastor's associate pastor. The way he talked to her, where he treated her, talk, said things about her wasn't true. And she said, I cannot forgive that man. And I said, let me help you. Let me pray with you. Because I understand there's some things bigger than us. There's some things bigger than us. And so I began to pray with Julie. And I saw her a year later in Chicago at the National Safety Council. She said, let's have coffee. I said, okay. So we're having coffee. She said, you remember? I didn't go to church. I went, yeah. She goes, I'm going to church now. I went, oh, great. Praise God. I'd forgotten about the unforgiveness. I thought that was fixed. But she said, you know how, why I'm going to church? I said, no. She said, I was sitting on my back deck having coffee the, uh, a few months ago. And she said, I told the Lord, this stone that's in my heart. It's a stone in my heart, and I cannot get it out. I can't. I, I, I'm telling you, I, folks, I understand. I understand what unforgiveness can be. It can be something that you can't deal with in yourself. She said it was there, and I cried out. She said it was Sunday morning. I should have been in church, but she said I cried out. God, help me. Help me with this. It's, it's a burden that I can smile. I can be professional. I can do all these things. But it's there. And she said, the Holy Spirit, as I was praying, I saw the hand of God reach in and take this stone out of my heart. And, and, and he laid it down on a table and it had a big hammer. And he crushed it until it was powder. And it was there. And I said, that do it? She went, no. I said, it's just in a different form, Lord. It's the same thing. It's just powder instead of in a solid form, but it's still that unforgiveness. That's all man can do is shroud it with things and ideas, and, 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 but it's still there. And I said, well, what, what happened? I've never thought of this. Only the Holy Spirit could. 
He, she said, then I saw the hands of God come down. And he took that dust and he added some of his living water to that dust and he began to form something in his hand. And she said, I couldn't see what he was forming, but he was taking the dust, that hurt, that unforgiveness in my heart. He was forming it, and when he opened his hand, it was in the shape of a cross. And he took that away from me on the cross. Do you know he took it away from you on the cross? He took it away from you on the cross. The totality of the blood of Jesus Christ isn't just so your sins are forgiven, but it's for the fullness of life that you can live and have life and have it more abundantly. It's a fullness that only Jesus can give you, but it comes through the power of the blood of Jesus Christ. Who is this David? The one that challenges the one that defies, the one that believes, the one who battles, the one who wins battles, and the one who is getting ready to destroy his anointing by his own actions. I'm so thankful that God loves us so much that he has a way of fixing the unfixable. And if there's any one cancer in the lives of people today, it's unforgiveness. Say, so, well, Pastor, I thought you was going to preach something tonight. We'd just shout, that's coming. That's coming. Last Jericho march we had around here, that man right back there, Bud Austin, led it. Well, we were having a time that night, and just Bud started walking. And before long, we had a Jericho march. And now, you youngins don't know what that is, but they're good. And they bring down walls. And that day's coming, but right now, I want a foundation to stand on. I want a foundation for our church. I want something so solid that God can pour his presence out in here. No games, no foolishness, no silliness. I just want God. Because, you see, we have destinies in our life. And I don't believe we have one destiny. I've had so many destinies, I've lost count of them. I think we have places that we go. I think we have decisions to make and what affects them. Sometimes they're almost like collisions. These collisions we have will either be yours or God's. The course of everything that we have in our life can separate you from God or it can bring you closer to God. They'll result in repentance or rejection. One of the two. Intimacy or alienation. This collision is a result of a great love that God has for us that wants to bring us to an intersection that removes the stones out of our hearts and lets the supple softness that the potter can mold in our hearts. And I'm telling you, I understand what I'm saying. I'm not one of those guys who are going to tell you, read my book or watch this tape. Or I'm telling you from my own experiences, there are times where I said, I cannot do this. I don't want to do this. I want to see vengeance exacted on this person 
and I, and I feel that in my heart, and I don't lie about that to God. I, I talk to him, and, and that's when the Holy Spirit comes in and says, everything in your life that's impossible is your stopping point and my beginning point. I can take the impossible and make it possible. I can take what you can't do and fix it. I can heal you where you have peace that's unspeakable, that can't even be described, and a joy. And when that peace and joy hits us and that unforgiving stone is taken out of our heart, we have a power with God that whoever we meet, wherever we meet them, we're going to stand up with a glorious power of the Holy Spirit in us and be a witness that will tell people Jesus Christ died for you and loves you. And that's the only message of the church that I know is that we need to seek. He said, I came for one purpose, Jesus said, to seek and to save the lost. In the process of seeking and ser serving, the, saving the lost, we need to grow in him. But there are obstacles in our way. There are collision points that we're coming to. And tonight, God's bringing us to a collision point that says, God, I have something in my heart that I can't even react to pastor and I'm hearing, but I really don't want to hear this message because it's something that I think is impossible for me to remove. God sent me here to tell you and you watching online today that it is possible with Jesus Christ and it's possible through the blood of Jesus Christ and it's possible through your yielding to him. This is the Abigail spirit. This is the spirit that says, I can take these things. And when I crush them and I reform them into the shape of a cross, you see that they're paid for, they're purchased. I own them. No longer do you own them. Now, this isn't a long message tonight. It's a short one. But it's a message I believe with all of my heart that God has for the church. I believe that there's a great number of people in the church today that have stones that are well-deserved, stones that either they caused or they didn't or somebody else did, but they're stones, unforgiveness. You know, we have three times a year, we have the post-critical incidents at PCIS, the Missouri State Highway Patrol puts on with a Department of Mental Health, State of Missouri. 100 state troopers in here and deputies, city police that have either taken someone's life or been wounded terribly bad. They'll be in here in January and in April next year. And they, we talk about for three days. They even let me have a, a, a 7 o'clock service for anybody that wants to come. But at the end of this PCIS, this coming year, They've asked me to do again what I did a couple years ago. I'm going to be the keynote speaker and I'm going to talk about forgiveness. Forgiving yourself and forgiving others and the value of that. Well, I'm here tonight early with a message. There's power in the cross. And what you think you can't do, you couldn't be more right. You cannot. But he can and he wants you to be free. He wants you to be free in him. Have you ever had something going on in your life and it's just there? It's like a dead th 
heartthrob and, and, and you see everybody and you got your smile on and everything's good. But inside, when you slow down just a little bit, that, that's what unforgiveness is. God wants to free you tonight. And I believe with all of my heart, I don't, I'm not going to throw dust on you or sprinkle you with water. I'm, I'm just going to let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do. But I want you to stand to your feet with me.